Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Well, I would say it wasn't me, but it kind of loses impact after the 50th time. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 310, a.k.a. Hero Pants, is sponsored by The Senator, an outstanding choice since Dorothy's going to be in it forever. Pete cannot believe that as we kick off this week of Jessica Jones Podcasting, that here we are at the penultimate week of ever talking about Jessica Jones on Netflix. Yeah, uh, it's going to be, I think, a little emotional when we finish this up, knowing that it's all said and done. Well, with that, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. The episode is written by Hilly Hicks Jr., series producer, and Jamie King, staff writer, and directed by Sanford Bookstaver, veteran of Chicago PD, eight episodes of Power, this episode of Jessica Jones, and a lone Iron Fist. Zip Zip, a body bag is being closed, and it's being sent to the Edgecombe Funeral Home. It's Dorothy Walker's end. At Jessica's apartment, the NYPD is still questioning her, all to be thorough when one of their own has been killed. She won't talk about her conversation with Officer Nussbaumer, though she allows pictures of her hands, her weapons, to be taken. They find her file on the late dirty cop. The police remember what a good guy he was, going after punks and such. They take the file, nothing else, and walk. She knows they suspect her because they don't know about Eric. She's off to the funeral home. Jean, the director, knows of her specific instructions. It's a blessing to have plans. They were sent by her attorney, Hogarth. Not helping, Jean! Outside, the detectives are questioning the grieving Trish. Outside of NYPD earshot, Jess updates Trish. Later, Jess is at home, the NYPD still watching from the street. J.J. digs through old memories of Dorothy, including old-timey film. Knock-knock, Eric's there by way of the back door. She shares about being a prime suspect in Nussbaumer's death, and he says he didn't do it. He's glad Nussbaumer's gone, but he still didn't do it. The next morning, J.J.'s headed out and sees Malcolm in the hall. She needs to hire him, but he's different, post-Hogarth. At Hogarth and Associates, Kith is here to see Jerry. Good news, the IRS will accept a reduced fine, and most everyone will take less money, too. Jerry will front it via an official loan. Patseris, though, seems to have a personal vendetta. Kith says there is one. She saw the bruises on Mrs. Patseris, and that helped end the marriage. Kith gone, Jerry wants to dig into the late Dorothy's estate. Jessica goes to Hogarth concerning the will, finding it's Jerry handling the paperwork now. The will calls for half going to Trish, half to a memorial fund slash scholarship fund slash tax shelter. Dorothy has left Jessica her liquor cabinet and a chair from childhood. Jessica leaves with the original will and Dorothy's belongings on her body when she died. Jerry's going to give Salinger the boot and wants to keep Trish as a client. Is this how she's spending her waning days? Back at Alias, Jillian's typing the O-bit and tasked with getting that old-timey film developed. Malcolm arrives, Nussbaumer police file in hand. Looks like his badge is missing. That's what the police were looking for. With that, the late Dorothy's phone rings. It's a young client. She got the job. It's a sad moment. Malcolm leaves and Zaya's in the hall. Time for them to talk. 
He doesn't need to compete with her at her level. What truth does he need to speak? Ultimately, he needs to move on. Still, the NYPD detectives are outside watching the door, missing Jess leaping behind the car and running down the street. She's off to see Eric, bottle in hand. They talk about their pasts, particularly the abusive Dorothy and burying evils stuck in the past. He kisses her softly. Things heat up. Later, the deed is done and Jessica snoops about. His files show he might have been looking for more wrongs to right. Back at Alias, JJ and Malcolm talk about Jace Montero, whom Eric was researching. Jess is given the developed pictures. We don't see the results. Jessica puts on her best formal black. Seeing herself in the mirror, she cries. Walking to the funeral, Malcolm updates JJ as to Montero, a builder and possible murderer. Near the funeral parlor, Trish isn't ready. At Malcolm's apartment, knock-knock, it's Brianna, formerly Barry. She's on the mend and wants a second chance. He lets her in and gives her the couch, and he needs to leave for the funeral, but kisses her instead. Clothes come off. Jerry, at home, updates Kith concerning Pet Saris. It'll be a long court fight, or Jerry could color outside the lines to get deeper tax info. It's kind of like the Peter thing, except, ooh, boy, that wasn't the right thing to say. Later, Jerry takes her daily pile of pills, pausing for a call from Kith. Petzaris is coming after both ladies. It's time to color outside the lines. Back to Trish and Jessica, the former is making final changes to her eulogy. Mourners share the success stories of talent manager Dorothy Walker. On the picture board, Jessica posts a picture of the three women's feet, a day gone wrong, but a normal wrong, just like a regular family. Eulogy time, but not before Jessica's tipped that the NYPD has an arrest warrant for her. Trish shares a story about failure, that of the mourners and wasting talent. Jessica notices bruises on Trish's arms and leaves, just as NYPD sirens close in. Cut to later, Jessica's tailing Trish as the mourning daughter returns home. In the early hours, Trish is on the move. So is Jessica, but the NYPD corners her. She's given her Miranda rights as she's charged with Nussbaumer's murder. Elsewhere, at night, Eric hears someone being beaten. Jace Montero is the victim. Hellcat is doing the beating. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with the double shot of Detectives Imada and Defford. You got your classic good cop, bad cop scenario. They will just not leave Jessica alone. Uh, you know, Defford explaining that when it's one of our own, we, we work even harder, which I get it, but at the same time, we don't want that representation for, like, everybody who is not a police victim. I think it probably is capturing the the in-house mentality that, that happens in many an institution, whether it's law enforcement or other public service or whatever it might be, where it's, it is just kind of, you know, we are going to take care of our own business. Within the context of this episode, though, Clearly, they are in the wrong because we are 99% sure, unless there's some sort of blackout slash, you know, Venom has taken over Jessica Jones at night while she sleeps sort of thing. You know, Jessica Jones didn't do this. Therefore, she is in the right. Therefore, those who oppose her are in the wrong. And that's Detectives Amada and Defford, NYPD. I mean, they did find an envelope, a, a folder with some uh, information. I don't get 
and it's a discussion for our cryptology segment, how they go from she's a person of interest to quick, get to the Walker funeral where we will make the collar. Because there's no downside to optics there to have a big arrest at a, at a funeral home. But Pete, we also have in this episode the morning Trish, uh, you know, dealing with this this very human stage of dealing with her her parents' death and going through the the processes uh, therein. We also find out towards the end of the episode she might be the villain that Jessica and Eric and the entire NYPD are all looking for. And I think villain gets an asterisk. She feels she's doing the right thing. She feels that she is going after uh, guilty people, that she's taking the law into her own hands, except the law doesn't work that way. But it's a very real conversation to have, what with uh, people like uh, Matt Murdock, people like Luke Cage, people like Danny Rand of Rand Enterprises, um, uh, the immortal Iron Fist, the uh, sworn enemy of the hand and protector of Kun Lun, uh, and uh, also a guy named Frank Castle out there. Well, that does get to this central Trish versus Jessica dialogue that's gone on sometimes in the background, sometimes more in the foreground as to when are you relying on these public institutions like the NYPD? Oh, yeah, the same NYPD that tolerated uh, Officer Nussbaumer and now certainly is turning a, you know, turning a blind eye towards, oh, he might have done bad things. But, you know, that kid who cracked me upside the head, you know, he, he got him. There's that, you know, yes, it's difficult to trust this NYPD in this show, but that's also the same NYPD in which Jessica Jones is saying, let's save a modicum of, ho- of hope for and reliance in. And Jessica, as a PI, she understands building a case. She understands evidence. And Trish, as somebody new to her powers, not seeing the forest for the trees, is is out for revenge. She's out, you know, to, to make her mark. Yes, she thinks she's doing the right thing, but this is not how it's pursued. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, we can start the countdown clock here to the end of this story arc. I won't hammer home that it's the end of the season and the end of the series, tier, tier. But only so many episodes left here. Do we see the face of one Mr. Patsaris before this season ends? I have to imagine. I mean, they've talked him up for a couple episodes now. He can't remain this big, bad off screen it's not like you know we're talking about the hand here (laughs) well we've also had salinger off screen for a couple episodes i'll just throw a a crazy theory hail mary here maybe they are one and the same person maybe somehow uh somehow salinger has gotten himself kind of inculcated with kith and company in some sort of you know uh smarty pants end run around his own lawyer that would be an interesting turn. Pete, what theories do you have? Is Jerry really dropping Salinger? There was, you know, the need to do something to, uh, you know, defray 
the damage that going after um, Peter Leone. And now you have to wonder, is she sincere in wanting to do this? Is this just another ploy to try to keep uh, Trish as a client, given that Jerry has seen her reflection in the computer screen? I don't know what to think. Well, I don't know the legal ins and outs. And again, you want to throw in two sentences to say true or not, actual legal or not. You want to throw in a couple of sentences to say we are in the process of doing it, but we have to officially file with the superior court that won't be open until tomorrow. Okay, uh, cool. That's why you have to wait. Short of that news uh, that I personally have and the story that I personally do not have and the, the story has not given me makes me wonder, is this just a delaying tactic of the storytelling, which I think feeds into your point, Pete, is it a delaying tactic on Jerry's end? And if so, okay, then kind of the, the story baloney smell that we're picking up on is in fact that of Jerry. But in the interim, I don't like kind of, I don't like being unclear as to the exact particulars of, of Jerry's supposed exit. Nussbaumer's missing badge is an interesting story point. It is. And I think that in the, in the dramatic uh, confines of this episode, it exists as the thing that lets them not arrest Jessica in the beginning. Then they get more info. And that's the, that that's the, uh, the bit of testimony that let her arrested at the end. Okay, fine, I get it. That's the that's that's it for this episode. Do I expect that we're going to see that badge in some other context, uh, whether it's in Trisha's apartment or passed off to some other bad guy? Pete, maybe uh, maybe uh, well, Turk Barrett shows up with it, and we end Marvel Netflix with him going to jail for all the crimes he he wasn't pinched for. Uh, I don't know, but that badge has to show up again. It does. I think that's going to be a, a key piece of evidence to be used against Trish. Uh, shift gears here for a minute, Matt. What's up with like the young sounding but really super mature uh, teen who got the part who uh, calls Dorothy's phone? Was that a teen? Was that like a 10 year old? It definitely. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking of you know some of these whether they are fully legally emancipated actors or just you know hey you're working full-time on that sitcom you have a, a greater degree of uh, freedom than the average kid uh, and of course you could call your beloved agent let me put it this way pete it came at a weird point in the story like what was the takeaway for well there were two characters in that conversation kid actor i don't care about it, never heard about them before or since uh, is it somehow setting up all the people who wanted to thank talent agent Dorothy at her funeral? Eh, I mean, that stood on its own just fine. Was it, did it give some sort of illustration of Jessica's mental state or some, some plot point from which she could leap forward? No to both. So I don't quite get why that was there. Yeah, it definitely, uh, stood incongruous with the rest of this episode, particularly since, they have and they're kind of taken aback by how many uh, people show up to the funeral and the, the nice memories they have of of Dorothy. How about um, Malcolm, Matt? Is he going to tell Zaya about 
Brianna. I feel like he has to, particularly after this second, I mean, I don't want to say dalliance and undersell it, but his second physical sexual encounter here outside his dating relationship, uh, which, yes, I guess, you know, he did say, you know, it's time to move on and need my freedom. I, I'm not quite clear what the story is doing with him at this one point. It feels like an odd loop-de-loop back. I guess it does kind of address the fact that he did cheat and then appeared to get off scot-free. Uh, yes, the relationship ended uh, with, with Zaya, but I'm not quite sure what they're doing here. I don't want to call it a story foul, but I hope they land this plane with some kind of, you know, oh, that's the arc that they were working on. I definitely want to clarify he did not pay either time. True. I would be a little concerned about the appearance of a quid pro quo or certainly the power imbalance that's going on both times. Uh, I will grant you no money exchanged and consent aplenty, but not not ideal circumstances, even her vocation notwithstanding. Are Malcolm and Brianna a thing now? I think they must be, given that you know, he missed this very important funeral uh, in order to return to bedroom times with her. Uh, side note, at least the way the episode was edited together, I think he was going to be late anyway, given as how, you know, it appeared that the uh, that the funeral home was in uh, Queens and there he is in Manhattan, still getting dressed, getting his shoes on, etc. But yeah, I guess they are. Does that I don't know what that represents for Malcolm. I don't, I, 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 I'm just not sure. The coloring outside the lines that Kith has authorized Jerry to do, is that going to involve a certain cat from Hell's Kitchen? Well, it does put Jerry in the position to need, you know, off the books help, outside the lines help, etc. And... She probably knows she does not have leverage with Jessica Jones anymore, but she could run that same play 2.0 with the next powered person, and only so many people know that secret, and Jerry's one of them, and Trish doesn't know it, so that seems like a great story direction. Could there possibly be some other explanation as to why Trish has bruised arms and... Uh, an alibi for what's going on here well i mean the bruised arms you know i twisted off this bridge and fell 60 feet and landed like a cat uh which does that call into question maybe you know maybe jessica was quick to quick to reach that assumption that uh that trish was the guilty one uh, i mean maybe objectively i don't think within the storytelling of the episode that's a concern. And I think, too, you know, we see Jessica's realization. The The inference is that Jessica has put all this together, not just said, oh, I make a connection that's not there. So, I mean, Rocky Road ahead for Trish. Again, only three episodes left. That's That's good tension, but a lot of story road to cover. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, first tweet from our pals over at the Defenders TV podcast. That's at Defenders Cast. 
uh, saying massive thanks to Tall Girl Mel, that is, of course, Melissa Rosenberg, and casting directors on hashtag Jessica Jones for introducing the world to Jillian, played by Aneth Shishax. Let's hope it's a massive step in a long, wonderful career. Yeah, it's been great to get the trans representation onto Jessica Jones. If there was a show in the Netflix end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to do this, it would definitely be Jessica Jones. You know, look at all of the representation they've done for female characters, largely female cast, female directors. Uh, I mean, every season two um, uh, episode they committed to that. Has that been the same, Matt? I haven't been keeping track of directors as far as gender in season three. Um, but just for them to make that commitment ahead of time for season two shows you, you know, how important it is. There have been male directors this season, including this episode's, oh, that's I... uh, this episode's director, Sanford Bookstaver, which by the way, Pete, if that's not a name of a fictional character, it needs to be right away. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, certainly the show as a whole, having made really, uh, really wonderful leaps forward. Pete, one more tweet here. This one from Lucas Diaz. That's at 73 Lucas Diaz saying to Kristen Ritter, I'm watching your show now. Awesome job directing Jessica Jones. Of course, referring back to the beginning of the season, but always a great compliment. I do hope Kristen Ritter sees that as she's ready to go into labor any moment now. Yes. And of course, through through the interwebs, best wishes to her. I, Pete, I, I doubt she listens, particularly with this uh, Joyce occasion ahead of her. But uh, Pete, good vibes. You put them out there. Not for any reason other than putting good vibes out there. So good luck, Kristen Ritter. And thank you to everyone who sends good luck our way by going to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. It keeps the podcast ongoing, sustainable, keeps that back catalog up and keeps our future endeavors rolling into the future. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to pick from there. It takes just a dollar to get you in the door and help keep us rolling. Well, Pete, there's all sorts of treats there, but the best one, it's always a freebie. It's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,000. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10, 570 followers can't be wrong and while i am personally on twitter as looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek all one word with the ph like it today Well, Pete, we will be back on Wednesday talking more. Jessica Jones has some other goodies on the radar for the Pop Culture Podcast as well this week. Uh, Of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Friday. Can't miss out on that. And uh, Pete, before you know it, we're going to be talking the last couple of episodes here for Jessica Jones. But let's hold back those tears for another time. With that, I'm going to say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. What are they looking for? The Lindbergh baby? 